do you know him? Do you know this King of Kings? Church, today we return to the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, as we peer into this grand finale of God's Word. This place where we see a glorious portrait of King Jesus like no other. Friends, our God is high and lofty. He is splendid and majestic. He is uh, eternal. He is sovereign. He's perfect and He's holy. And yet, He is good to us. He's so good to us. In, In a collision of power and mercy, the eternal God grants believers grace and peace. The eternal God grants believers, He grants those who turn to Him in faith grace and peace. Despite His incomparability, He creates, He considers, and He cares for us. Despite our sin, despite our rebellion against Him, despite our sin against Him, He saves and He secures those who turn to Him. So may we be a people who continually turn to Him, who continually look to Him. Let's turn to Him and hear from Him once again this morning through His His written Word. Revelation chapter 1, if you're Using a pew Bible, you can find this text on page 991. But as you find this text, let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's Word. Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Let's hear the Word of the Lord. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from Him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look. He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of Him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Father, we turn to You now, and we ask that You would guide us Lord, that you would instruct us, that you would teach us, that you would do a work in us by the presence and power of your spirit. Lord, expand our vision of you. Correct our understanding of you. Lord, compel us to live for you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, church, you may be seated. So here in Revelation or the book of Revelation, John writes a letter. The disciple, the apostle, one of the original twelve receives a vision from the Lord and he puts it to paper. He writes a letter and he addresses it to the seven churches in the province of Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Seven real churches filled with real people in real time with with real issues. But as we said last week, seven churches that stand for all churches, that represent every church between the two advents of Of Jesus Christ. You see, Christ came once in the flesh to accomplish salvation. 
He came and He died on the cross for our sins. He paid the penalty and the price for us that we might be forgiven, that we might be restored, that we might be reconciled. He came once and He accomplished salvation. And Christ will come again, according to the Scriptures, to consummate salvation. And through His coming... Through Christ's coming, the eternal God grants believers grace and peace. Grace and peace to you, John writes, to him who, from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne, a reference here to the Holy Spirit, and from Jesus Christ. You see, God is and God was and he is to come. He always is. John encapsulates this opening greeting with words describing God as the one who is and who was and who is to come. Verses 4 and verse 8. An intentional echo of the divine disclosure at the burning bush that's recorded in Exodus chapter 3 where God says to Moses, He says, I am who I am. He says, that is what you, Moses, are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. He goes on, he says to Moses, he says, say to the Israelites, Yahweh, or he is, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Who is this eternal God who grants believers grace and peace? Church, he is Father, Spirit, and Son. He is Father, Spirit, and Son. This is known as the doctrine of the Trinity. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was And who is to come. Reference to God the Father. And from the seven spirits before his throne. God the Holy Spirit. And from Jesus Christ. God the Son. Father. Spirit. And Son. All are equally divine. All comprise one God. All are distinctive persons. Displaying loving authority and leadership. And joyful submission. So who is the eternal God who grants believers grace and peace? He is the God who always is. He is the one who has always existed and will always exist as Father, Spirit, and Son. He is three distinct persons, yet one God. Three distinct persons, yet yet one God. If you're anything like me, you don't don't know which one of these truths is more mind-boggling. That God has always been and will always be, or that He is one God in three persons, but both are true. You see, part of the life of faith is a life of submission to the Word of God, even when we don't understand it. We strive to understand it. And by God's grace, His Spirit works through His Word to guide us in the truth. God is Father, Spirit, and Son. Distinct persons, yet one God, with distinct redemptive roles, yet one redemptive plan. One redemptive plan. You see, the Father and the Spirit and the Son have enjoyed perfect unity and perfect harmony, perfect relationship together from ages past, together moving history forward toward its fulfillment. In other words, this is not random. Salvation is no accident. History is going somewhere. The Father leads and cares. The Spirit convicts and comforts and guides. And the Son reveals the Father and achieves salvation. According to the word, the Son... The Son of God reveals the Father, reveals who the Father is, reveals who God is to us, and achieves salvation for our good. You see, though God is is three in one, believers in our era of 
salvation history, that is the time between the two advents of Christ, cannot serve, we cannot worship, we cannot honor, we cannot obey God without faith in the Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, we can't leave God in this nebulous realm. God has revealed Himself. He has exposed Himself. He has made Himself known through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so when Christians talk about the Lord, we must necessarily talk about Jesus. Jesus reveals the Father and achieves salvation. He is Lord and He is Savior. And John says that this book, he says, uh, the revelation is from Jesus Christ or of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 1. Which, as we said last week, means that it is from Jesus. He's the one who reveals it. And it is about Jesus. He is the one revealed in it. He is the central character. And so as the story unfolds, as the message continues, the contents now focus in like a laser beam on the glory of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that reminds me of the introductions of my favorite NBA team back in the early 1990s, the Chicago Bulls, actually more the mid-90s. The early 90s, you Auburn folks will be glad to know, I was actually a fan of the Phoenix Suns with Charles Barkley and, and Kevin Johnson. I distinctly remember as a young boy rooting for the Suns in that championship series in 1993, but I think three years of championship wins by Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and the Chicago Bulls was enough to make a boy jump on that bandwagon and so I became a Chicago Bulls fan and I remember watching some of those openings introductions the beginnings of the game where the players were introduced the starting lineup was revealed of course everybody does this now but I was reminded after the early service that the Chicago Bulls were the first to do it this way So the music begins playing, the lights dim way down low, and the spotlight begins to to move across the the congregation as they just, I said, not the congregation, the audience, the fans. It wasn't church. And they're getting excited. And the spotlight moves, and you see them cheering, and it comes across the the basketball court and hones in on each of the five starting starting, uh, players, and the, the announcement begins to... To speak, and the announcer says, And now, the starting lineup for your Chicago Bulls. And for a moment, it is about that player. It is all about them. The spotlight hones in on Horace Grant and Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Bill Cartwright and others as starting lineups changed. It's about them. They're in the spotlight. The church, in a similar way, Except on a far grander scale, as this story unfolds, as this message unfolds, as the Word of God concludes, it becomes clear that the spotlight is on the Lion and the Lamb, the One who is Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God who takes away our sins. And John writes, he writes to first century Christians who are struggling. They're facing hardship. They're facing ridicule. They're struggling to live for Jesus Christ in a broken world. Facing temptation to compromise morally and pressure to to compromise intellectually and attacks aimed at destroying the church spiritually. So the evil one has his eyes set on the church. He's attacking them from all sides and John writes and he tells believers to persevere in the faith. 
to continue on serving the Lord, persevere in the faith, endure to the end, continue following Christ, devote yourself to Him, persevere in the faith because God is on the throne. God is still on the throne. The one who is and who was and the one who is to come. Though life may feel like it is spiraling further and further out of control, out of control and into chaos, the king is in control of the cosmos. The Lord remains the Lord of life and all life is ultimately in his hands. God's plan of redemption is unfolding in his way and in his time. Persevere in the faith because Jesus remains faithful. Jesus is faithful. And from Jesus Christ, verse 5, who is the faithful witness. The idea of witness is foundational. It's basic to understanding this portion of God's Word. In fact, if we were to read and study Revelation and not come away with motivation and encouragement to be faithful witnesses to the Gospel until the very end, then we've, we've missed the point. Witness is absolutely central to the message of this book. And John reminds the church that Jesus also endured hardships, that he faced opposition, and even so, he was faithful. He was faithful unto death, and he remains faithful today. He wasn't just the faithful witness. John says he is the faithful witness. And believers are called to witness to the truth regarding him. A witness of the truth about him, to declare and to promote the message that He is Lord, that He is Savior. And it helps believers to know that He does not call us to do something that He did not do, even if it means persecution or suffering or even death. Like first century Christians, we too are called to testify to the truth about Jesus in a world that often rejects and opposes Him. So let's be faithful. Let's be faithful as Jesus is faithful. Let's persevere in the faith because Jesus remains faithful and because Jesus conquers death. Jesus conquers death. Verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. You see, the death could not hold him and the grave could not keep him. Death does not have the final word for those who trust in him. For Jesus conquers death. He defeated it when he was raised back to life from the dead. And one day he will raise, he will restore, he will reunite all those who know and trust him. And there will be no more death. According to this book, according to Revelation chapter 21 verse 4, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. So believer, though you face hardship, turmoil, tragedy, pain, Here in this life, opposition, depression, disease, temptation, persevere in the faith. Persevere in the faith, for Jesus remains faithful. Jesus conquers death, and Jesus reigns as king. Jesus reigns as king. And from Jesus Christ, who who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. In other words, he rules over the kings of the earth. There is no king like King Jesus. I think we struggle here a bit to, to really take in the message of Revelation as it would have been heard in the first century world. 
We struggle to identify with these seven churches of Asia on this front, for they lived under the rule of a pagan king who insulted and oppressed and even at times killed them for their faith in Jesus. And John himself is writing from exile because of his witness to the truth. He's writing to other believers and he says to them, we may face ridicule. Church, we may face hardship. We may face difficulty here, but Jesus remains on the ultimate throne. He is reigning and his kingdom will soon be the only kingdom there is. So persevere in the faith, he says. Press on in service to the king. The eternal God grants believers grace and peace. He is Father, Spirit, and Son. The Son reveals the Father and achieves salvation, and He does so. Don't miss this. He does so for us. The Son redeems the church. He, he redeems the church. The Son redeems the church, not the institution, but the people, meaning He pays our debt, our sin debt, and He delivers us from sin and its penalty. He gives us a new status, a new identity. A new name. He makes us to be a kingdom and priest, verse 6. A new status, a new identity that we're called to live in light of. An identity that we're called to live into. Not a status we could ever earn or deserve on our own. But a status freely given by God's grace. The eternal God. The sovereign one. The one who is and who was and who is to come. Grants believers. Those who trust Him in faith. Grace and peace. You see, on the front end of this salvation symphony, this divinely orchestrated and inspired artistic tapestry of redemption history, the Apostle John lays the doctrinal foundation of our faith. He lays the doctrinal basics of our faith, who God is and what He has done for us. And when we rightly understand those doctrinal things, we are moved to participate in doxology. And so this is exactly what John does. He's considering these things. He's writing about who God is and what he has done. And he's moved to praise. He bursts into praise in the middle of verse 5. He says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Church, I want you to hear me on this. Don't miss this. Doctrine or theology or right belief is never meant to stay in the cranial realm. It must move us into the cardiological. And the reason theology ought to move us in a way that biology and zoology and botany and astronomy and all the other ologies left to themselves do not It's because when we press into theology, we do far more than learn about a particular subject matter. We get to know a personal God who has made himself known to us and invites us in to commune with him, to be right with him, to fellowship with him, to know and to worship him. Friends, God has made us to know and worship him. And he has made himself known to us. He has revealed, he has disclosed, he's exposed his character and his person to us through his written word. And through his son, the word made flesh. And when we take him at his word, the spirit of the almighty God takes hold of our hearts and we cannot help but want to praise him. Do you want to praise him? If you know him, you want to praise him. Praise God now. Praise God here and now, not only in the future when we're gathered around the throne of heaven, but let's be people who praise God here and now for he is worthy of our worship. Praise God now for Jesus loves and frees us. He loves and he frees us. 
Verse 5, to him who loves us, who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. He loves you, friend. He loves you. He loves you with an incomparable, unfathomable, always and forever love. A love that that extends freedom to you and to me. Freedom from the control of sin over us. Freedom from the sting of death. And freedom to know and to serve the King. Do you know the love and freedom of Christ? The freedom that He freely offers to you today. Let's praise God now for Jesus loves and frees us and Jesus claims, restores, and commissions us. He claims and He restores and He he commissions us to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood. Verse 6, And made us to be a kingdom and priest. A kingdom and priest to serve His God and Father. To Him be glory and power forever and ever. You see, to say that we're a kingdom and priest recalls Old Testament language about Israel. Portraying the privileged position, the privileged status that God gives to His people. In other words, what was true about Israel has become true of all believers by the grace of God carried out on the cross of Jesus Christ. As a kingdom, we're part of His kingdom. We've been invited in. We are His servants and His subjects and His priests. That is, spiritual ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. We represent Him here on earth. You see, at one time the king had excluded us from His kingdom because of our rebellion against the king. But now, He has restored us by doing for us what we could not accomplish or do on our own. He has accomplished reconciliation with us on our behalf for us. He now claims us as his people. He says that we are his people. Scriptures say that once we were not his people, now we are his people. He claims us as his people. And the moment he claims us, he commissions us to represent him in the world, in this world, until he comes again. So believers, we, we continue. We trust. We believe and we witness. We trust and we praise the eternal God who grants believers grace and peace. We praise Him here and now because Jesus loves and frees us, because He claims, restores, and commissions us. And we praise Him here and now because Jesus Christ is coming again in power. Jesus is coming in power. The one who rules and reigns over all powers and over all people and over all time is coming again. John says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, look, He is coming with the clouds. He says, church, Believers, look, he is coming. He's, he's coming and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. So shall it be. In other words, this is certain. He says he is absolutely sure of this. John is sure of this, that Christ is coming again. All will see him and those who formerly rejected him will mourn. And here, I don't think it's a mourning over themselves, but over Jesus and their former failure to turn and to trust Him. I think this is a window into those that repent at His coming. This is a call for repentance. Friend, turn and trust Him today. Trust the King today. Serve the King today. Follow the Lamb today. Long for His return today. The invitation to praise Him is not just for the redeemed. It's also for all who will turn and embrace the King here and now. Won't you join the company of the redeemed? 
Won't you serve the King of Kings? Won't you follow the Lord? Won't you receive His provision? Won't you take hold of life in Him? Won't you gather with His people? Won't you serve the King? Won't you receive the grace and the peace that God now offers to you? Turn to Christ today. Let's praise Him today. He's worthy. Let's get to know Him. And as we get to know Him, may our relationship with Him move us to doxology. Father, may it be true in our lives. May we be people who are confronted by You. Lord, who, like Isaiah and like John, Lord, are overwhelmed by Your glory and bow before You and long to worship You. Lord, help us long for You. Lord, help us to want more of You. Help us to lay our lives at Your feet. Help us to to serve You. Father, You're worthy. You're king. You're sovereign. You are the eternal God. And even so, You grant grace, undeserved mercy, and peace, reconciliation with You to Your people. Father, may that gospel truth captivate us day by day. May it overwhelm us in this place this morning as we serve and sing and respond to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.